Welcome to the Wretched Hive Podcast. I got a bad feeling about this. Moss Eisner Spaceport. What are you talking about? You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is ridiculous. We must be cautious. Actually, we're just a bunch of guys talking about Star Wars and other stuff. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. That's good news. I like the sound of that. Hey, listeners, friends, fans, and critics of the Wretched Hive podcast, Steve here for another mini episode of the Wretched Hive podcast. And I've got another great interview tonight. We've been joined by John Nagel, who is a docent up at Rancho Obi-Wan in beautiful Petaluma, California. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am really excited to talk to you, John, um, because we met, well, the only time we've met, I was up at Rancho Obi-Wan with my daughter, who oh. was uh, selling a piece to the great, the one and only Steve Sansweet. Yeah. And uh, we had a great conversation, and I said, hey, you, you need to come on the show. You said yes right away, so thank you for thank you for doing that. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. So, John, I... You know, I uh, I talked to your colleague, Mark Morita, a couple mm. months ago, and I, I came to the realization during that conversation that there's only a few people on the planet that can say they are a docent in a Star Wars museum. <laughs> yeah, there, there are uh, very few of us. I mean, that's incredible. Just from a, a fan's point of view, what an amazing gig you have. It's so cool. It's 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 kind of crazy awesome, and there uh, many times during the course of a year where my wife and I kind of pinch ourselves, going, "We get to do this. This is this is our life. We get to go and talk to Steve Sansweet." And because oh. my wife's a volunteer there as well, and she's oh. working on becoming a docent. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, fr- from a fan perspective, it's it's really kind of nuts. <laughs> Oh, that's so. That is so awesome that it's a family affair too. You guys share the mutual passion for Star Wars. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, my my wife was originally a big Star Trek fan, but okay. uh, and and that's fine. That's fine. We we both love Star Trek. But when we started uh, seeing each other, and she uh, started getting into like the the deeper layers of Star Wars lore. Um, then that really intrigued her, the world building, and of course, uh, steps forward in terms of uh, how women are viewed as oh, yeah. heroes, et cetera, et cetera. I actually sent you a couple of links from her blog, so you can get an idea oh, of yeah, okay. her stuff. Yeah, she's a, uh, we, we ran a theater together for 13 years. Uh, she ran it for 20 years and uh, dealing with mainly newer plays. So, and her background, and she's a PhD in dramatic lit. So, of course, the idea of world building and storytelling is really compelling to her um wow. i smile and nod a lot when she's use all uses all the big phd words but you know i like star wars <laughs> i like the steady storytelling and uh you know spaceships woo yeah <laughs> one of my very best friends and he's a he's a huge fan of the show my buddy chris is a mm. professor of literature he's a shakespearean professor he teaches shakespeare he went to england and taught kids over there and Ooh. yeah, I, he loses me quite often too, and I always bring it back to Star Wars. <laughs> it's our mutual love. Yeah, that, that's that's cool, man. Um, well, I gotta say, first of all, I'm a huge Trekkie as well. Not not as big as the as the Wars, but 
everybody knows everybody who's sane knows that uh the fourth star trek movie with the whales that's the best one oh yeah it also has probably the the best <laughs> the, the best visual effect in 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 modern uh, in modern filmmaking which one is that uh, that's uh, Shatner's rug staying on underwater. <laughs> so true. Oh, that's that's good. Um, well, actually, we've had arguments on the show. My fellow co-hosts who are not here tonight, so I get to say that without getting any rebuff from them. Everyone else, <laughs> everyone else thinks it's Khan is the best movie, but uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure, fine. Yeah. That's well, John. Let's let's forget about Star Trek. This is a Star Wars podcast, if if I remember sure. correctly. And I I I've got to ask. Um, and we're about the same age. I I just turned fifty yeah. last year. Um, oh, I, I stuff. Think you're. Thank you. I think you're around that. Um, if I'm guessing correctly. Yeah, I turned fifty in January. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we were both nine when the yep. original movie hit. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that the genesis of your Star Wars fandom? Tell me about how you became a Star Wars fan. Um, friends who had seen it and you know told me about it. And the the night before I went and saw it the first time, the making of Star Wars was on TV. Oh, and I, I saw that so before I saw I went and saw the film the first time the next day. And uh, I saw it the first time, and and my nine year old brain was was hooked. It was by far the most amazing thing I had ever seen. Yeah. I had uh, always been fascinated with space and science fiction, but had also been fascinated with uh, knights and armor, and that was the two things put together in one kind of huge visual um, experience, and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know Star Wars mm, is mm. still my favorite one. Yeah, the the so Episode Four you would rank as number one on your list of from top to bottom of the films. Yeah, the, 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 that's one that I have the closest uh, yeah. uh, like like emotional affinity with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, so making of Star Wars was that the is that the one that Mark Hamill narrated? I. Th- think so i might it, have uh, that was, on vhs somewhere i think no no i don't, th- I don't think it was i don't know if it was one mark hamill narrated it okay. was the one that uh r2d2 and c3 were the quote hosts of and it had oh, the okay. it had the the Grauman's chinese theater um uh feet uh in uh a concrete i was coming up with carbonite but no concrete <laughs> right um moment at the beginning and yes. then it's okay when it's some of the behind this blah 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 don't they go into the theater and you follow them in or something uh, it rings a bell i don't remember I don't it's re- been okay well actually i saw i think last summer i found it on youtube and was hopping around the apartment in glee uh, <laughs> i gotta go back and find that one i've got the one that's on vhs that it's narrated i want to say carrie fisher does some of the narration too but it's mostly mark and it's 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 great. I've got a VHS copy of it laying around somewhere. Is is that the one made after Jedi? Oh, you're right. It is because because Salacious Crumb is in it. You're right. Yeah. I'm confusing the two. Yep. That yeah. one's good too. That one's good too, and that's on the Blu-ray as well. In the Blu-ray box set, you can find that. Oh, it's good. I that. Good stuff. So so you're nine years old. You get your nine year old mind blown away. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so do you remember seeing like Empire and Jedi in the theater as well? Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing. Uh, I remember seeing Empire and um, kind of not getting a lot of what was going on mm. uh, because it because it was uh, a continuation of a story. It wasn't uh, a complete package story. Mm. So the the loose ends had me a little confused in my nine year not nine year old but like eleven or so year old mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, uh, Jedi came out when I was in high school. Mm, okay. Okay. So yeah, I remember uh, still one of my closest friends, uh, uh, Jen, and I went and saw it with another friend of ours, and I cause the sound was a big deal for yeah. for Jen and seventy millimeter, and the sound was a big deal. And I remember uh, what felt like there were Ewoks chirping behind me in the theater. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. I well. Was THX a thing at that point? No, a THX that was later, was, right? Yeah, I want a THX was. Um, I want to say college, and I want to say around the time, around the time, uh, Tucker came out. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I, I want to say that's when THX was a thing. I want to say I've I saw the THX logo. It might have been the '97 re-releases. I'm thinking of because I kind of it all kind of mashes into my head, and I, I have a hard time differentiating the two experiences. Um, right. Like you, I remember seeing Star Wars in the theater, and I came home and I became Luke Skywalker for two years. I mean, it like took over. I'm one of those kids that George Lucas stole my childhood, except I'm okay with it. I'm like happy about it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I remember seeing Jedi and. I saw the first show, and it was like the matinee show, and they mm-hmm. said, hey, you get a dollar off your matinee ticket. There was an advertisement before the movie started, but we had paid full price because the theater was gouging us, you know. Um, <laughs> that's my memory of, of that time. Did you relate to any one of the characters in particular? Like, what, what drew you into the movie to the point, you know, of becoming like a super fan? I think the visuals mm. were a lot of it. Uh, definitely... Uh, uh, Vader and um, the Tie Fighters and the Stormtroopers, uh, but uh, in terms of characters, I think I, I gravitated more towards Luke and that complete kind of white hat, uh, confused young guy. Mm. What that's one I, you know, the character I probably most connected with when I was younger. Um, I mean, my, you know, one, one of my friends did say many times. Can we play something else besides Star Wars? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And did you have the toys and stuff like that? Did, were you a collector as a or well, I guess as a kid you're not a collector, but were you? Did you have access to the toys and and that stuff? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, we did. It was uh, my first action figure was the Tuscan Raider. Nice. That was the first one we were able to <laughs> get hold of once they went into the uh, got into the stores. Right. Um, and. Yeah, the uh, and the first two waves, because um, there was the first twelve and there was the next twelve that had like you yeah. know the canteen group and that sort of thing. Um, yep, I had those and and those got tons of playtime. And uh, during a lot of my tours, I do mention the the rocket firing Boba Fett that never happened. And how <laughs> once once we got Boba Fett in the mail, it was. With a with a little note that said we're sorry, but the missile is Sonic welded in. But if you would like another action figure, send this back. And I was thinking, uh, I don't care if the missile fires. I mean, I was bummed that I was not able not able to get hold of a Cylon Raider during those years. But right, um, I did, you know, my my 
Boba Fett got so many play hours. Oh yeah, um, it, it's it's ridiculous. So that's awesome that you actually remember getting the. It wasn't the rocket firing one, but it was the. Uh, you got a Boba Fett in the mail from the mail away yeah. offer. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was a huge Battlestar uh, Galactica fan as well. The Cylons. Oh man. Oh, the Cylons were awesome. Those things They're are so, so cool. I know. And it was on TV every week too. So it was like, you know, like episodic sci-fi. That was, I think, probably my first exposure to something like that now that I think about it. Oh, really? I think so, yeah. Oh, because I had seen some of the... Or was it Space was, uh, 1999 maybe? I can't remember. I never saw Space 1999. Okay. I never, I never saw any of those, but I saw some of the... There was a TV station that would show some of the Flash Gordons. Mm. So I was able to see some of the Flash Gordon episodes and a few times was able to watch them with my dad who then would tell stories of, oh yeah, there were days, you know, there were, there were, you know, seven up bottle cap days and, you know, take your seven up bottle caps. You can go and watch the movie. And oh, that's awesome. And of course we had yeah. Star Trek. Was Star Trek yeah. in reruns at that point, I guess in the, yeah. in the late seventies had to be oh, right. Yeah. Cause I remember watching them as a kid. I don't know how old I was, but yeah, the original Star Trek series is still great to show. We I've introduced my kids to it and they love it. Yeah, oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's so bad. Some of it's so awful. It's so bad that it's it's good. Yeah, it, it uh, and from a me my, my background is is theater and from like a, a set building or whatever background it's hmm. glorious. <laughs> uh, like, totally. Oh wow, look at all this low budget stuff. Uh, yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, network television show. So fantastic. So, all right. So so we got through the original trilogy, and then we hit sort of like the dark times, right? For, for a long time, there was nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there there was nothing there. Well, you know, there was nothing except for, you know, there was the, uh, I think the, oh my goodness, the Franklin or whatever mint, the chess oh. set. There was the <laughs> Did chess you have set. that? And that, uh, that I was think the '90s, like early early mid '90s, right? And then yep. if you watch QVC, QVC um, you know, you could get the the some of the mannequins. Uh, there were the man, the Dom Post had uh, I think stormtrooper man, man, stormtrooper mannequins and yes. the Boba Fett mannequin. I remember those stormtrooper mannequins. Yeah. Now, were you into the books at all, like the extended universe, the like the Zon trilogy, anything like that? I no, I didn't get into those until way later yeah i mean because the first time i saw one of them was uh i was interning at a theater in maine and the production manager was holding a star wars book i was like gar what <laughs> yeah because um, that was still kind of a weird closeted stage for some of us star wars fans especially if you were in the arts um uh, mm. you know when someone make a star wars reference you kind of eyeball each other and kind of sidle over like all right you're one we're we're in the same club, man. <laughs> right, right. Uh, before Star Wars was cool. Before Star Wars was cool, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. I I clearly remember those days of being a little bit embarrassed that I liked it so much because you know, like, you know, you're in high school and you're trying to be mm -hmm. cool and you know, trying to you know impress girls or whatever. And they, you know, there the Star Wars was just not a thing when we were in high. I graduated in '86 and it was sort of like dead by then. Almost, you know? Yeah, same here. I mean, I graduated in 86 as well. Star Wars wasn't huge. You know, it wasn't yeah. hugely popular, kind of, you know, grand spectrum. Um, so it wasn't really like, hi, 
I'm a Star Wars fan, <laughs> and I play Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, let's, let's just let's just hit the flush button on anyone's young love life at that point. <laughs> That's awesome. But now D and D is having to come back as well. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's like clubs and stuff that you can join to go play D and D. And my son, who's 15 and hanging out with a bunch of 15-year-old boys over here, like, this weekend we had six boys over, and they're playing dice. They made their own game. They literally awesome. made their own game. And I'm like, you guys need to play Dungeons & Dragons. What's that? Um, so now I get to introduce them to d and I'm totally stoked. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, it's like making yeah. a comeback. We got back into playing that, oh my goodness, like eight or so years ago. Yeah. And uh, so... Yeah, we play at home now and again. My wife DMs. My uh, my uh, stepdaughter, uh, she plays a lot. She actually has a group of friends that comes by like every few weeks. So part of our house is filled with D&D players. It's kind of awesome. That's that's so cool. That's good. It, you know, nerddom, it, it needed to come back. It, it's like, it's sort of like, it's fun and it's, I hate to use the word wholesome, but there's just something like that's sort of like, it feels like home. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's and I think it's great being an aging nerd in this <laughs> kind of, in, in this kind of modern era where where being a nerd is okay. Yeah. It doesn't quite get as much of the of like you know the getting pushed across the hall as it as it used to happen when you know in like 1982. Yeah. Um, and uh, so many more young people are you know, flying their nerd flag proud, flying their video game, their tabletop game, their pokey, whatever it is. They, they all seem to be enjoying their nerddom, and that's that's really, really cool. Right, and, and, and certainly with Star Wars. I mean, I cannot leave the house without seeing some, you know, 40-something-plus wearing a Star Wars shirt. It's just you can't right. escape it now. Right, exactly. Which is so cool. Um, so, all right. So fast forward a few years and, Mm -hmm. um, we come to the, the prequels, right? 99 (laughs) episode one. So are you a fan of the prequels? Um, I I have a, I have what I call a complicated relationship (laughs) with the prequels. Okay. All right. Let's do some therapy here. Cause I, I, (laughs) I think we're on the same wavelength here. So, I mean, I, I admire them for what they were. I walked out of episode one. I wasn't disappointed. I actually really liked episode one. I think episode two is the worst movie of all the films. I actually like the clone wars animated film better than I like episode two. You may disagree. Oh no. Clone wars, the the animated. No, so much better than episode two. (laughs) And, um, and, and then episode three was fine, but, you know, I, I work sort of equal opportunity fans here. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I really want to know what you think. What what what's your opinion on 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 the prequels? Um, narratively, they I think they have some issues. Uh, the episodes one and two, I think, take a little long to get where they're going in terms of like the 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 feel of the Star Wars film that mm-hmm. I had grown up with. And yeah. actually you can kind of see the the kind of loosening of the tightness in 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 Jedi, but um it it, it they kind of meandered. And episode 3 felt like a moment of going oh nuts, I got to put two films worth of narrative into one film. Um and when I first yeah. saw episode yeah. 1, I was I was juiced. I was excited. Um and immediately saw it again the next day. Of course. And, uh, and then walked away feeling a little, huh, huh. 
Yeah. It was like I hadn't had pizza in a long time. It was like, oh, yeah, give me that pizza. Ah. And then like, huh, then have a give me another one. And then at that <laughs> other one, it's like, you know, this 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 dough tastes a little funny. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Um, I, I mean, I, I think of Star Wars as pizza. It can only get so bad. <laughs> but then you love, there is no terrible pizza. It's all There's good no, on some level. On some level, it's all good. Yeah. The, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of episodes one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually uh, uh, a, a buddy of mine, uh, Peter Townley, that uh, said, no, 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 you got to look at it this way. And what, whatever uh, about the about the hubris of the Jedi and how they weren't able to see the Sith rising up and that's how they fell and right. I was like, whoa, I, th- that makes sense. That makes one and two a bit more palatable. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I mean, I've gone back and rewatched Episode Three because I like the the pace of it. Um, not so much episodes one or two. My kids never wanted to go back and see episodes one or two after they saw it the first time. Yeah. Uh, and every now and again, actually, the 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 new goal at home with my wife and I is, all right, we'll wait until nine's out, and then we'll take a weekend and we'll watch them all in chronological. No, it was like take a few weeks because she wants to do all of the right. the, the rebel, not the rebels. Uh, Clone Wars episodes in their chronology because they're not oh. re- at least in their chronology. Right. So, so you want to so you want to watch the sort of like Star Wars from beginning to end, including all the media like Clone Wars and Rebels and the films and everything. Is that what you're saying? Just, just the full deep. Let's just go crazy now. Narrative. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. I like that idea. That's a cool idea. Now here, I don't know if you have it where where you you are but in la they've got like events that you know with when episode eight came out you could sit in the theater all day long and watch one through seven and then see eight at night like a marathon oh i think i think some theaters did do that around here are you actually are you in petaluma where do you where's home for you um we live in albany which is just north of berkeley california right across the bay from san francisco god okay so you've got a little bit of a drive down to down to uh, Petaluma there, where Rancho oh, is. Bad. Okay. I mean, in, in, in the commuting world, it's not that bad. Right. Well, I, I commute uh, an hour from Long Beach to downtown L.A. every day on the train, so um, through South L.A., so that that's an adventure um, that does not need to be on film. That's <laughs> fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, John, uh, all right, so I, I've, I've got to ask you about your experience and getting into Rancho Obi-Wan, like what, what's it like to be a docent? How do you land that gig? And, and what's the job like? Uh, let's start with how you got the gig. Let, let's, 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 let's start with how we got there. Cause that, um, yeah. do you want the truncated version or the long version? Or uh, the... We, uh, we got time. Okay. I can always edit in post if, if we go over, <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can, I can cut you up. No problem. Um, that's awesome. That's fine. Uh, so uh, my wife and I are part of a costuming group called the 501st Legion. Oh, are you and, guys members of the 501st? Yeah, I've been a member oh, since awesome. uh, 2004, so I'm coming up on my 14th year oh, in the Legion. that's so cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And there was an event called Trooperfest um, that only happened a few times, but we went to the first one, which happened to be in Las Vegas. Okay. And there was uh, – 
uh, a party in a suite where people would meet up and we walked in and I saw Steve Sansweet sitting there and I made a 90 degree left to go somewhere else because I didn't want to be pestering him or four feet up his nose. Right. Because it's um, uh, when I was an undergraduate, I used to be able to do some overhire stagehand work. And one of the things they always told us was don't talk to the talent. Ah. So it's kind of like burned into my brain. Um, <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm, I'm not someone who chases down any type of celeb. So I'm going to go over there. Right. Um, my wife did not make the same 90 degree left that I did. <laughs> and God bless her for it. Okay. She also, she also didn't know Steve Sansweet by face. She ah. just knew him by name. And thought, oh, what's this person sitting by himself at a party? That's not a good thing. So sat next to him and said, hi, my name's Lisa. Oh, my name's Steve, blah, blah, blah. And after about 20 minutes, uh, began on, began to dawn on her who he was by observing how other people treated him. And by that time, the damage was done. At the end wow. of the uh, weekend event, he said, you guys got to come up to the rancho and see the collection. Um, we were able to go up and take a tour and... We hit it off with uh, Steve. We hit it off with Ann Newman, the collection manager. And um, I said, hey, here's part of my background. Uh, if you need help doing something, please let me know. We're, we also, you know, we're also willing to dust things if you folks can back up. <laughs> right. And uh, a few months later, we were asked to come in to, they were working on the expansion. We were asked to come in and clean out a case with a, lightsabers and other things in there clean it out clean off the items put it all back and uh yeah and then from there we became more regular volunteers um and when uh uh lucas seastrom who's the chief docent wrangler mm. started the docent pro program um we said oh we'd be interested in that and there we go it's uh wow yeah it's 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 really kind, kind of nuts. Um, so I, I asked John about, you know, I mean, so first of all, I got to say, you get to work with Steve Sansweet and Ann Newman, who is like one of the sweetest people I've ever met. She's so cool. I know, right? Uh, I mean, uh, she's amazing. Um, she was so kind to my family when we were up there. Um, but... I love that it sort of was like organic, like that your wife didn't know who that's a, that's great. That's awesome. And I bet he really appreciated that. Like this is Steve Sansweet here. I mean, right, exactly. That's awesome. And so, uh, so was there a, when you were hired by Lucas or recruited, I guess I should say, were you, um, was there like a training effort or how, how did, how do you go about learning all the details of the items that are in the museum to sh that you share that information with, with uh, people on the tour. So um, the the uh, the recruiting or whatever process was uh, over the course of about probably a couple years, Lucas and I had become friends and he had okay. shared his vision and at different events throughout the year and times when he and I would show up at the same day to change you know, light bulbs or whatever it is, mm. um, uh, develop the friendship that way. And then when he started the program, you know, sent him an email saying, hey, dude, I, I, I would like in on this. Um, so he created a process, which is, uh, you know, shadowing Steve on a bunch of tours. Mm. Um, yeah. Cause Steve was doing all the tours initially, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for a while it was like two tours a week, yeah. which that's, that's 
that's two th- between two and four hour one person shows. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So um, we started to do. Uh, so we started the process of okay, you know, first shadow Steve, and that's that's fine. I shadow Steve on a bunch of tours already. Then once we got a few docents already in the uh, in the barn, as it were, um, then it's okay. So go shadow at least three different people to get an idea. And then, um, Hmm. then some of us, uh, you know, have our research materials at home. There's like some books that Steve wrote about the collection that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I use the 1000 collectibles, the poster Mm -hmm. book that that Steve Mm -hmm. wrote with Pete Vilmer Mm -hmm. and uh, the star Wars vault were what I used as my quote study materials. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, be, you know, because sometimes I'd have to write details down because there were some items that I really dug and wanted to give background information on. Um, but what happens is each docent ends up developing their own style and their own preferences of what items that we want to talk about. There are a few things we do all talk about, mm-hmm. but then we all kind of uh, diverge from there and talk about the stuff that we really dig i'm gonna bet mark probably talks quite a bit about lego and i don't talk quite as much about lego <laughs> he's a lego guy through and through he is and that's yeah. amazing in fact the uh the atst that he created the the rainbow oh yeah style ATST that's in the that's in the collection now it's pretty cool yeah yeah it's awesome yeah, it's awesome um okay so do you have a favorite piece in the museum Ugh. Um, that's a tough one because yeah. it does kind of rotate at times. Uh, yeah. So if if I was uh, so so if I was held to a ground with a you know blaster at my at, at my skull, I'd right. probably say the uh, there's a piece of pencil art in the expansion near the to the left of the exit door. Okay. And it's by an artist named uh, Kevin Michael Doyle. Hmm. And it's his envisioning of the Style D poster, the circus poster. Mm, okay. Um, it has a few alterations, embellishments in terms of the characters, etc. But I'd always really, really uh, loved it as a piece. I thought it was really awesome. I was really uh, like taken by it when I first saw it. Like, what an amazing piece of work. Yeah. And and then when I met Kevin, just just being just the sweetest person on the planet, I was like, all right. All right, so this has an emotional attachment now too. Oh, that's awesome. That that's really cool. Well, um, I mean, I can tell you my favorite piece, and that is I I I get in trouble if I didn't say it was my daughter's piece that is now in the expansion area, or at least it was the day that we were there. Steve oh, was it's so still there. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I did a tour uh, day before yesterday. I even pointed it out. Oh, that's awesome. That's our newest piece. Oh, that is so cool. She's going to be on. I'm going to tell Sarah that tonight. She's going to be on cloud nine. That's really cool. So it's hanging up in the, in the back room there in the expansion room. Um, it's not hanging quite yet. It's still in the spot where they set it on top of the low shelves. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. So, uh, pretty much where you, where you folks saw it last, it is still there. That is so cool. What an honor. What an incredible honor. Um, Okay, I, I ha- before we uh, we wrap this up here, I've got to ask you a couple more questions just about the museum. Um, sure. I asked Mark this question, and he gave me an honest answer, but he couldn't tell me the whole story on the air. So I will respect you if you have to do the same. But mm-hmm. is there a piece in the museum that nobody else gets to see? Like, what is the you know when you're walking through the museum, and as a 
as a first time through, as a, you know, ha- never having been there before, there's all these like shelves behind the shelves. And I wanted to peer back there and what is, you know, I, was, I wanted to see everything. And I know there's a lot of stuff there. So what's the piece that's in the museum that you love that nobody else sees? Huh. Um, well, to be completely honest, yeah. we've got a lot of really cool TIE fighter and TIE pilot stuff in those shelves behind that are for like the stacks of a library. Mm. Um, yes. Uh, on a very personal and self-serving level, uh, I would like to see a shelf with a little more TIE love in it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah? You're a, you're a TIE guy? I'm, I'm, I'm a uh, yeah, I'm a what my first costume and my primary costume in the 501st is a TIE fighter pilot. Oh, cool. But, the black? Um, that was, yeah, because oh, awesome. that blew my mind when I first saw it. Oh, it's and, just uh, so cool. The design on that costume is incredible. Yeah. And TIE fighters in general, just going back and looking at the work they did, to des- the design that went into the original films is just... I mean, uh, just at, on every level, it's just uh, what Joe Johnson did with those designs and the drawings. It's just amazing. And of course, Macquarie, but um, right. I love the Joe Johnson stuff. Well, the Joe Johnson stuff was much easier to kind of copy out of the sketchbooks when I was right. 11 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. the Macquarie stuff was just just mouth agape, uh, yeah. uh, you know, looking at for hours and hours. Yeah. So you're a TIE fighter guy, huh? So do you, what other costumes are you, or do you have in the, uh, or is that the only one or do you have other uh, costumes have, that are approved by the 501st? I have one other. I have one other and um, uh, it's, it, it's an older approval, which means it would not be considered for approval now, but because oh. it's been for so long, I have a, uh, an Omega Squad uh, Republic Commando. Oh, wow. I have a Black Armor Republic Commando that doesn't have all the other attachments to it that are part of the uh, current standard. Wow. Okay. Because the current standard was updated and that's why it would no longer be approved? Or why? The, uh, the, the current standard is, um, if I remember correctly, the Omega Squad characters uh, were assumed to be analogs of the Delta Squad characters. Okay. So. So uh, Scorch, who was the um, uh, uh, demolitions part of Delta Squad, uh, Darman, who was the demolitions expert for Omega Squad, had to have all the same like tube attachments, etc., on the backpack. Mm. So all the attachments you see in white and uh, I want to say, you know, someone's going to yell, yell at me because I got the wrong color, yellow or whatever <laughs> it was. Um, <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, so whatever tube Scorch had, Darman is supposed to have in black. We do and have fact checkers on the show, John, so careful. It is fine. That's why I try to give myself, you know, an escape hatch. Yeah, there you go. Um, so at the point when they were developing in the 501st, we call them CRL's costume reference library. Uh, when they, when this, When those standards were young... That's why I got the costume approved. And then once they had refined the standards and uh, said, no, we're going to do Omega squads are black analogs of the Delta squad. So they need to have all the same parts. Um, but all you guys that got them, all you folks that got them approved, you know, three years ago, your grandfathered in. So don't sweat it. Nice. Nice. And are you still an active participant in the 501st? You go out for the, you know, like, fundraising events and the sort of the, the great things that the 501st does is it is that uh is that something you still are actively involved with 
Uh, yeah, uh, I, I tr- uh, to be at an event in costume is called a troop, and it is also the verb of trooping. Okay. Um, I try and go to as many troops as I can. I try and troop as often as I can. I'm also part of not only our local garrison leadership, but I'm I'm also part of legion leadership this year. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And so, what is the so you've got the troop and the what? How big is the legion? Legion is currently um, okay. Last time I checked the database, which was probably about two months ago. Yeah. Uh, for this particular number, we are at 12,744 active members. We are, wow. if we're staying at the kind of expansion that I've seen from our local garrison, other garrisons, I'm hoping that we hit a full 13,000 members by uh, autumn. Wow, it's growing that fast. Yeah, it, it had, uh, we had crazy exponential growth probably i'd say in the last maybe three or four years yeah well that makes sense right yeah yeah Yeah. since uh of course the force awakens and and then more recently the last jedi and rogue one and yeah right i imagine rebels and rebels yep Mm -hmm. are you a fan (laughs) of the animated uh stuff yeah uh Mm -hmm. i'm a little behind on rebels but Mm -hmm. i uh it it was really it's really fun to see kind of Filoni unchained. <laughs> right, um, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the the stuff that he's been able to do with his team has been really great. Uh, uh, lots of his playful ideas end up... Not that they didn't end up in uh, Clone Wars, but um, he was still uh, essentially working under um, somebody else. Yeah. Even though he was the you know, executive producer, but uh, this is uh, it, it's it's really great to see kind of his creativity, his humor, his nerdiness. Yeah, um, just kind of be let off the leash. You know, there's a there's a, a thread in our Wretched Hive show proper that that we've been discussing for the last few episodes, and that is that some on the show feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect in the different Star Wars properties. Um, not that, not with like the Star Wars story group, but that they could be woven together a little bit better, a la the Marvel universe and what they're doing with Avengers. And mm. I, my contention is that, uh, you know, Kevin Feige sort of is is the is the tie that binds everything together. Uh, and I would actually, I've been advocating on the show for um, Filoni. Dave Filoni to be inserted as the showrunner, quote unquote, for mm-hmm. the Star Wars universe. Um, what do you think mm. about that idea? I think it's a really interesting idea um, because, in terms of of uh, show creation, uh, mm-hmm. he, he definitely walked alongside George for you know uh, the the whole of the Clone Wars period. Right, and so there's a there's that direct connection there, and Filoni is is a very tight storyteller, um, and I mean I believe that that he's been able to give the uh, feelings that I remember as a kid mm-hmm. seeing Star Wars in 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 modern packaging. Yeah, yeah, um, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, and I think as uh, what, what were you suggesting? The what was the title you were suggesting? The show, like showrunner. Showrunner. Yeah. Um, I, th- I 
I think that with, and you know, he are, what am I saying? He has a close working relationship with Kiri Hart and Pablo yeah, yeah. And, and the story group. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, and I'll just add that, you know, he is a, he, he was a fan going to comic cons, dressing up as characters as of course, everyone, you know, Famously, he loves Plo Koon, and he right. was dressing up as Plo Koon at these things. I mean, he's one of us, and he got yes. trained by George, and he's a great storyteller, and he's a great executive producer. I mean, the guy's a complete package. He should be the showrunner for Star Wars. Give him the Kevin Feige role for Star Wars. <laughs> That's what I want. Anyway, um, I don't make the, I, you know, I, I, I do not work for Lucasfilm. Probably never will. Would love to. If you're listening, Kathleen, I'm right here. But um, anyway, but I, I think he would be great in that role. I have to ask you before we end this, um, you mentioned yeah. that Filoni, one of the great things he does is he packages sort of the old time feel, the original trilogy feel of Star Wars into modern packaging. I love the way you you put that. And that brought me to think about and to ask you about The Last Jedi, because obviously mm-hmm. it's been quite divisive um even mm-hmm. on our show the the hosts on the show are, are split about our feelings about the last jedi i admittedly mm-hmm. kind of am on the fence about it i'm i walked out of the theater going what did i just see and i've i've sort of be- become more appreciative of it having seen it several times now um i'm curious to know what what were your thoughts on the last jedi how did you feel leaving the theater and now i imagine you've seen it more than once how do you feel about it as time has gone by I dug it when uh, when well when I left uh, yeah. the first after the first time seeing it, it was my first thought was what what an interesting handoff to the younger characters mm-hmm. and to the younger cast mm-hmm. because it's I mean it has to, it has to be a handoff and I, I understand why some people are annoyed by it. and there are parts of me that are also kind of emotionally hurt by it because. You know, my, my life has been attached to Han Luke Leia. Um, but the what's so interesting uh, about The Last Jedi is that basically this, ta- I'm going to use a table metaphor, this table that has been next to me my entire life of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, the, the table legs were solid. I knew exactly what they were. Um, that table's been knocked on its side mm-hmm. and it's the, this, this kind of, this notion of Ray doesn't have to have a pedigree to have a connection to the force. Um, and it's, uh, the, the whole model that a lot of us have grown up with has just been changed. Um, yeah. Or some would say destroyed, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, some um, would say that table's been knocked over and, and broken into splinters, and 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 not fixable. John, Star would, Wars is hurting. That's what some fans I don't know. are saying. I don't know. It's it's uh, there is so much cool stuff going on. There is in 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 1977. It was. It, it was leading edge narrative because we had a self rescuing princess. Mm-hmm. Um, because we had probably the best Western 
so many of us had seen until you know actually Silverado <laughs> came out. Right. Um, yeah. No that doubt. Was actually a western. Yeah. Um. But I I think they needed to hand this story off to people, and I think the Last Jedi does it incredibly well. Um. In in addition to just having some awesome just casual diversity in the characters yeah not just pointing to hey look we've got people of color or 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 or, or older women in in uh, leadership roles mm-hmm. but it's just it's just there and everybody accepts it um so yeah. i think uh yeah from a uh, apparently by the way i'm talking i'm not that far away from berkeley um <laughs> but uh no i mean i i we love the diversity part of it. And, you know, all of that. I was totally okay with that. My issues were, well, first of all, I felt like I can't believe I just saw the end of Luke Skywalker. I mean, that was like devastating. And to see him go from who he was at the end of Return of the Jedi to this film was really hard for me to swallow at first. And then I saw, and John, I don't know if you've seen this. We haven't talked about this yet, even off the, in, in prep for this, but, um, the 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 oh god what's it called it's the it's the um the making of the film that is part of the blu-ray set that oh is, i haven't uh, seen that yet oh john you have to watch it it's so good um oh I, yeah from I, feel, Jet, I feel like from, i've failed in life i usually watch the makings of you you've <laughs> got to watch this it's a full two hours and it really ryan johnson walks you through his thinking around you know not everything ends in, you know, um, a fairy tale ending. And, and this is a story of a man who was heroic and then couldn't live the rest of his life up to that heroism and what he went through, what he must have gone through that. And you and I know now as 50 somethings, life doesn't always work out the way you think it will. And, and it's just a great documentary. Highly recommend go watch that, John, you're going to love it. Oh, I'm I am I am about ready to hop out and do it. So. <laughs> yeah, I can't it, believe I forgot that. It would be interesting to talk to you after because it really changed my view on the film. Like I, I, I walked out going, I don't know what I just saw. I'm really sad about this. I was really upset. I looked at my daughter and I said, fans are going to be split on this, and I my prediction was right. Um, oh but, yeah, but I think a lot of us older fans, you know, watch that documentary and it'll give you even deeper insight into what Ryan uh, Johnson was going for. And, and I have a better appreciation for it. Yeah. And no, I, I actually kind of dug grumpy Luke. Um, <laughs> Did you? I mean, I just, yeah. I mean, the, because there was enough explained that showed that, you know, he had these ideals. He had the ideals we saw in the original trilogy and he tried to make them work and just did not happen. And he, he, you know, his 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 goal shattered. He shattered. He just went and hid and literally disconnected himself from everything that he had worked for. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, it was I I thought it was uh, it was awesome. Yeah, it, yeah. it is great. Great filmmaking. No doubt. He is a unique talent. And mm-hmm. apparently we're going to get another trilogy from him. I'm kind of stupidly giddy about that (laughs) well we've got like how many we've got we've got that trilogy we've got the trilogy from the guys that are the showrunners for game of thrones 
Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. And then, oh, not a fan? Not a fan of uh, Game of Thrones? Um, <laughs> That's okay. You like knights and, and armor and stuff. I thought I, I thought for sure you would you would be into that. Um, into I, I, I read the books. Okay. And uh, how do I put this? So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip over a couple tracks here. And um, uh, I saw the first few episodes of uh, Vikings. We rented the first couple discs of the season. Okay. Uh, okay. And um, from what I had seen also with Game of Thrones, there are certain types of assault used as narrative devices that I cannot wrap my head around. Okay. And it's, it's all about victimizing another person. I, yeah. I am such a boring white hat. <laughs> no, serious. There, there are whole sections in, because I play video games, there are whole sections in video games I will never see because you have to break into a house. And yes, I understand that I can do whatever I want. It's a made-up world. I just can't. I can't bring myself to break into a fake house in a video game. <laughs> That's awesome. I often, my 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 son will be playing. I think it was like, um, oh god, what game did we just buy recently? It's one oh Fallout Four. Is that? That's one of the games where I will not break into someone's house, and that one bugs the poopsicle out of me because <laughs> the the Fallout Three New Vegas and Fallout Four, they all you get to the end. Because I'm always trying to be a white hat, and I end up in this weird Kobayashi Maru situation where there's no good decision, and I end up rage quitting at the end because no, I can't be a good guy and walking away. <laughs> I think we've come full circle with the Star Trek reference. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well done, well done. Hey, John, this was a really great conversation. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to do this. We were kind of all over the board at the end, but sometimes that's just how it goes, and. Um, and you're really you're a really fun, nice guy. And I appreciated the time that, that you took to do this. Thanks a lot for, for coming on the show, John. Oh, thanks so much for having me and for uh, in, in enduring my flights of fancy. And listen, next time we're in Petaluma, and there will be a next time, I'm taking you and Mark out, and I'm buying you a pint somewhere. Sounds excellent. Find a good pub for us, and we're there. All right. Sounds awesome. All right, John. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Okay, bye. Bye.